0: We're closing out a series today called Doubt. And today I want to talk to you about doubt when it comes to God's love. Sometimes people question God's love whenever they've sinned, whenever they've messed up, whenever they've disappointed themselves. I, I, I remember when I was a little kid living in Valdosta, Georgia, in the backyard with my sister, she had plucked a flower and I had look for a flower today. When I went in to get that out of the arrangement, I realized that was a fake arrangement this whole time, so I didn't pull it out. But I watched my sister pull a flower from our flower bed, and she would pluck a petal, and then she would say, he loves me. And then she would pluck another petal, he loves me not. It was the first time in my life I'd ever seen someone do that. She went all the way around that flower until she had plucked the last petal And Sharon, if you're watching, I don't remember where it ended, but I think it ended on he loves me. But I don't know if you rigged it or not, but uh, that is a, a little saying, a little phrase of French origin where people would divine the intentions of another person. Does this person love me or not? So it could be he loves me or he loves me not, or she loves me or she loves me not. And sometimes I think whenever it comes to our lives, We question God's love for us on two occasions, primarily. One is whenever we see sin and suffering out there. And we wonder, does God really love? If he does, why does he allow bad things to happen? And we talked about that in this series. But there's another time we question God's love. And that is not when I see sin out there, but when I see sin in here. And now my question is not if God loves. Now my question is, how can God love How could God love me after what I've done? How could God love me after my past? How could God love me after I failed in my marriage? How could God love me after I disappointed my parents? How could God love me after what I've done in my life? And maybe this morning you're questioning, does he love you? Because whenever we are questioning that love, our sin will make us feel guilty and condemned And of course, if you're spiritual at all, you know we have an adversary in this world. In the Bible, he's called the accuser of the brothers and sisters. He's the devil and he whispers in your ear, look at what you've done. God could never love you. God could never forgive someone like you. Well, I want to settle the question for you today, not based on my opinion or my uh, ideas. I want to settle the question for you about God's love for you based on what the scriptures teach us. I'm going to take you to a New Testament book closer to the end of your Bible. It's it's really a letter. It's 1 John chapter 2. And in 1 John chapter 2, we're just going to look at two verses today. We can find out what do we do whenever we sin. What about when I sin? Does God still love me? Can God ever forgive me? Can I be restored Well, we don't have to wonder, we don't have to speculate, we can see what God says to us from this passage of scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to put the scriptures on the screen as well if you don't have your own copy of the Bible, that way you can see it with your own eyes, what God says to this question. This letter was written by the Apostle John, one of the original disciples of Jesus. But when he's writing this letter, he is now an old man. It's been decades since Jesus was crucified, buried, resurrected. As a matter of fact, all the other disciples have long since died. He is the last living disciple of Jesus. And he's making it a point of his life and his ministry to encourage Christians, some of these now second-generation Christians... He's encouraging them to not forget about who Jesus is and what he did and how much he loves. And this is what he writes in 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's writing as an old man, and his love for these followers of Jesus is so evident in how he tenderly addresses them. He's, he says, my little children, my dear children. He, he feels like he's a spiritual father in their life, and he's, he's caring for these who are coming up behind him. One day he's going to be off the scene, and he wants to impart to them some wisdom that will help them throughout their lives. And so as an old man, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things. I'm writing this letter to you so that you may not sin. Let's just go ahead and be honest with, with, with ourselves. We all sin, but the goal is that we not sin. In fact, John has already said in the first chapter in verse 8 that if we say we don't have sin, we lie and we make God a liar because we're all sinners, and he tells us in 1 John 1, 1.9 that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Isn't that wonderful? I've memorized that verse because I've needed it so often. But John is saying, listen, just because God makes forgiveness available and pardon available doesn't mean he wants you to keep on sinning. No, I'm writing these things to help you stop sinning, to prevent you from sinning. Just because God makes provision for forgiveness doesn't mean He wants you to sin. And that was the impression some of the first century church folks had. Well, if God forgives, then really sin's no big deal. I can just live like I want to live and God will forgive me. And He says, You've got the wrong view of sin, God doesn't want you to sin. I tell people today, it's no no different. God doesn't want us to sin no more than having lifeboats on a cruise ship means the captain wants the ship to sink. No, it's just there in case. Just like a hospital has ambulances parked out in the parking lot, it doesn't mean the hospital wants people to get in accidents. It's there just in case. And just because forgiveness is available doesn't mean we should just go and sin and not be concerned about it. In fact, the word sin that John uses means to miss the mark. It's the picture of a bullseye and someone aiming at the bullseye, but they miss it. They miss the mark. And if you're like me, you miss missed the whole target. I mean, it's just not even pretty. And that is the definition of sin, that God has set a standard for how He expects us to live, what He expects us to do. And we often miss the mark of God's standard. We, we commit sins of Commission and sins of omission. There are things we do that are wrong and there are things we left undone that we should have done. And those two can be sins. And we are all sinners. Whenever you go back to work on Tuesday and people ask you, what did you do this weekend? Say, I hung out with a few hundred biggest bunch of sinners you've ever seen. And they're going to say, what's the name of that bar? I want to try it out. You say, no, no, it's Fort Caroline Baptist Church. <laughs> because we are all sinners. But the goal that John is writing is that we might not sin. He says, I want you to hit the target of living for God and obeying God. I want you to hit the target of loving God and loving others and serving the world. But here's the reality. Sometimes even on our best days, we still sin. We still miss the mark. So he says, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, here's some good news. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate literally means one who comes alongside of you. John likes this word. He's used it four times in his gospel, the gospel of John. When he talks about, for example, in John chapter 14, that when Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to send another helper, another comforter, it's the same word here. It means one who comes alongside of you. In the gospel, Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit who lives in every child of God. But here, the Apostle John is saying the one who comes alongside of us when we have sinned is our Savior, Jesus. He's our defense attorney. I don't know about you, but I have a friend who's an attorney. Maybe you have a friend who's an attorney, or maybe you have a, a, a person who helps you with your business or your uh, personal finances or your personal legal affairs. And I remember saying to my friend one day after she had helped me and helped our church, I said, you know, you're the reason I don't tell lawyer jokes, because you're such an awesome person. She says, let me, let me give you a good one. And so I'll tell you the joke she told me that day. And, and this came from a lawyer. She said, there was a mom and her little girl that were in a cemetery And they had gone to visit the grave of the little girl's granny. And as they were making their way back to the car, the little girl says, Mommy, do they bury people, two people, in one grave? And the mommy said, well, that's an odd question. No, they don't normally bury two people in one grave. Why do you ask? She said, because that tombstone says here lies a lawyer and a good man. (laughs) Now, that came from an attorney, so I can share that. Law is a noble profession. And there could come a time in your life when you're going to need an advocate, someone who comes alongside of you. And I can tell you that even as a Christian, there comes a time where we need an advocate when we have sinned. And our advocate, our defense attorney, our lawyer, the one who comes and stands by our side when we've blown it, when we've messed up, when everybody else turns and walks away, our advocate is Jesus Christ. The righteous one. In your mind's eye, it's as if we have been brought before the judgment bar of a holy God. There, God the Father sits in judgment over us. And there, we have confessed our crime. We are guilty. There's no escaping it. And our defense attorney stands up and he says, The plea we offer today is guilty. In fact, My client is not only guilty of what he's confessed, he's guilty of far more than what he's even being charged with in this incident. The judge says, guilty. Well, the penalty is death. And the attorney says, yes, I know. May I approach the bench? You may approach the bench. And there Jesus walks up to the bar, the judgment bar of God. And he says, Dad, he's a sinner. She's a sinner. Guilty, condemned. But, Dad, I died for them. I took their punishment when I died on the cross of Calvary. Dad, their sins are covered. I took their punishment. God the Father slams down the gavel. Guilty, verdict averted, paid in full by Jesus Christ the righteous. Of course, Satan doesn't like that. Whoa, well, what do you mean? You at least got to put him on probation. You, you got to punish him. You got to do something. And Jesus says, No, I took all his punishment. I took all her punishment because I am the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous and that's who your advocate is if you've put your faith in Jesus, confess your sin to him, put your trust in him as your Lord and Savior your advocate is Jesus Christ in his humanity. He came into this world, lived a perfect life. Where you and I have lived sinless lives. But he is also Jesus Christ. He is the anointed. He's the Messiah. He is the Son of God in flesh who offered himself on the cross for us and he gave an infinite sacrifice for our sins. And he is the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's righteous in what he says. He doesn't mince words. We're sinners. Let's just be honest. He he is righteous and he's not going to shade the truth. He's not going to lie. He's not going to cover things up. When we come to Jesus, we got to come clean and confess our sin to him. And he is righteous in not only what he says, but he's righteous in what he did. He lived a perfect life and he exchanged his perfectly righteous life for your imperfect, sinful life. And for mine. That's what he was doing on the cross. It was the great exchange. Father, I will take the punishment of the world so that you can then forgive. That keeps the righteous, holy law of God intact. God can be righteous, but he can also be loving and merciful. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Aren't you grateful that you have him as your Lord and your Savior? Now, this prompts John to continue to write about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In verse 2, John writes this. He, now he's referring to Jesus, He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's a word we don't often use in modern vernacular, propitiation. You say, oh yeah, i was just using it over coffee this morning with my sweetheart. It's just not a word we use a whole lot, is it? Propitiation. Another word that you could substitute is satisfaction. He is the satisfaction for our sins. The pagans often use this word to refer to their relationship with their their pagan gods. In Greek religion, for example, uh, there was often this image that the gods were capricious and implacable and they were not really on your side they were more on your case and so as a human being to stay in the good graces of the gods you had to bribe them you had to cajole them you had to give them something to placate their their anger towards you that's where all of the ugly sacrificial systems of pagan culture and religion came from just this attempt to please the gods in heaven. And John says that's the wrong image because that's not how our God is. You don't have to beg God and cajole God and bribe God into forgiving you. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4 verse 10, the apostle John will be absolutely clear For in this we know love, that God gave His Son as a sacrifice, as a propitiation for our sins. Nobody had to force God the Father. It was God the Father who took the initiative in grace to send His Son so that you could be forgiven of your sin when you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what God the Father did is God the Father upheld his own righteous law and paid the price for the broken law himself when he gave his own son, Jesus, to die for us. Jesus satisfied the righteous demands of the holy law that says the soul that sins will die. And Jesus says, I will take that and i will satisfy the righteous demands of the law. We're not going to sweep it under the rug. We're not going to skirt the law. Jesus, i will be the propitiation. And John says that's what Jesus did. He is the satisfaction, the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And listen, maybe you say, well, that's good for you church people, but I'm too far gone. No, that's not what the Bible says. John says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You were not left out of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. This doesn't mean all people in all the world are saved But it does mean that the sacrifice Jesus offered on the cross of Calvary is efficient for the sins of the world. It's efficient for the sins of the world, but it only becomes efficient when you place your faith in Christ. It was Luther who said, you can't ever say Jesus died for Peter and Paul, but not for me. No, he died for you as well. And dear friend, if you've ever questioned, does God love me? You need to know that the supreme answer to that question is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross for you. If that is not love, I don't know what is. He voluntarily, willingly took your place under the judgment of God, took your punishment under the condemnation of sin, died your death out of love for you, and he rose from the dead to prove he is who he says he is. He's the son of God. And that he can do what he said he could do. He could forgive sin, including yours. The only question is, will you turn to him and trust him to be the satisfaction for your sin? To be the atoning sacrifice for your sin? Jesus said in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in the name of the only begotten Son of God is not condemned. There's freedom when you put your trust in Jesus. But he who does not believe is condemned already. That's what our sin does to us. And so today I'm going to encourage you, don't ever doubt whether God loves you. The only question that remains is what will you do with God's love? Jesus says, Accept me, trust me, let me be your Lord and your Savior. And I pray that today you would do that. Church, there's a word for us in this as well that He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin and for the sins of the world. The gospel was never just about us. Church can't be just about my four and no more. It can't just Christianity can't devolve into a club for Christians where we only concern ourselves with ourselves. We are a missionary force sent by Jesus into the world to share this good news. The world needs to hear it. It's too good to keep to ourselves. We've got to share it. That is why we partner with the Gideons International. That is why we partner with the Jacksonville Baptist Association and 200 of our sister churches. That is why we partner with 3,000 churches in the state of Florida through the Florida Baptist Convention. That is why we continue to support groups in our community, like her song, Rescuing Women from Human Trafficking. It's why we care for orphans and we take care of widows because we want to be a church that loves God, loves others, and serves the world by telling the world this good news of Jesus that He loves you with an everlasting love. So if you're ever questioning, Does God love me? you don't have to say, He loves me, He loves me not. Instead, you could say, He loves me. He loves me lots. <laughs> Look at what He did for me on the cross of Calvary. We began this talk with the question what about when I sin? Well, here's the answer. Because Jesus is on your side, turn to Him. Because Jesus is on your side when you sin, turn to Him. He's your advocate, He's your friend, He's your Savior. He is the one there for you. He is the one who loves you with an everlasting love. Last week I was talking to a man on the phone and he was really discouraged. He was having a hard time and I after listening to what he's been going through, it was very evident to me why he was depressed and why he was struggling and feeling so low. But he was really living with a lot of regret over his early life and the choices he made. And as I sat in my office on Monday and I talked to him on the phone, his question was, and and you're going to think, that's a preacher story. (laughs) Because you were preaching this sermon, so you were looking for the illustration. Nope. Sometimes that's what I do. That's not what this was. (laughs) Sometimes you go, well, that'll work for a sermon. Let me throw that in. This guy called me. I didn't call him. And he said, after everything I've done, how could God ever love somebody like me? And I read him these verses. And as I was reading these verses, I said, do you think that that's true? That Jesus died for you? Or do you think that Jesus wasn't telling the truth when he said he died for the world? He said, I believe Jesus is telling the truth. And then he broke down in tears. And he said, thank you for reminding me today how much God loves me. Friend, I think there's somebody here that needs to hear this. I think somebody watching needs to be reminded, God loves you. I told him what Max Lucado said. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. That's how much he loves you. But he doesn't have a refrigerator. Your picture's not on it. But he did take a cross and he put his son on it to take your place, take my place, and to answer the question once and for all, what about when I sin? Well, because Jesus is on my side, when I sin, I turn to him. Let's do that right now. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for the reminder today of your great love for us. There's so much more we could have said, but we've said enough today to know beyond a shadow of a doubt we are loved. And it's by your grace, your unmerited love that we rest in today. And we thank you that we don't have to leave this place today asking, he loves me or he loves me not. We can leave today knowing he loves me and he loves me a lot. And he demonstrated his love through Jesus on the cross. Father, for those of us who have trusted Jesus, we thank you and we rededicate ourselves to recognizing that when we sin, we need to come to him. We need to come back and we'll find open arms, pardon, cleansing, restoration, a new day. And we'll find a love that is as perfect today as it was yesterday. So Father, I pray that right now in the stillness of this moment, if there are some Christians who are struggling with sin and they, we all have it, we all have that Achilles heel, we all have those besetting sins, we all have those struggles, God help us to keep turning to Jesus and find in Him the rest that we need. But Father, there could be somebody that needs Jesus and for the first time in their life, they need to turn from their sin and trust him as their Lord and their Savior. I pray that right now in the stillness of this moment, whether they're watching online or listening or they're in the room, that right now if they need to make this decision, they would say, dear Lord Jesus. That's right, friend, pray in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you, I am a sinner. But I wanna thank you for dying for me on the cross, proving God loves me. And I thank you for rising from the dead. And now I trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. I receive your love, your forgiveness. And I pray that as I leave today, I'll always remember how much you have loved me. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you've made that spiritual decision or if there's another decision that you're making or you need to have someone pray for you, let us know that. Use the Let's Connect card. If you're in the room, I'll meet you right here at the front. If you wanna call our church office, whatever you need to do, reach out and take that next step with the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for all who are now trusting and obeying and doing what you're asking us to do in this moment, to rededicate ourselves or to trust Christ for the first time. In his name we pray. Amen.